Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. Are we just not as intelligent as the snoozers? Apparently not. Okay. When you watch the video of Max going in reverse in the cul-de-sac in tight little circles in the car, you have to think to yourself, he's got some pretty decent driving skills. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a nice slow motion backward donut. It really is. I mean, and and it was a perfect circle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and he was just going round and round in reverse in this cul-de-sac. And you're like, wow, you know, Max could really have a career as a driver. Here's the thing. Max is a dog. (laughs) Did you hear the story? A Florida dog got accidentally locked in a car. And as the owner got out, shut the door, locking the keys in the car, Max kind of got a little bit upset. And so he stepped on the shifter and shifted the car into reverse and started going in circles in reverse in this cul-de-sac. So probably a good thing the wheel was like already turned to one side when he was doing that. Otherwise, he's just backing straight up into the neighbor's house. This happened in Port Lucy, Florida. And so they had to call the Port Lucy, Florida police to come. (laughs) And you can see in the video is the two police officers get out of their car and just start walking towards this vehicle that's moving very slowly in reverse circles in a cul-de-sac and you got to know they're thinking to themselves well this is something that i didn't expect to see when i got they're up like this i remember this lesson from the academy the old dog <laughs> driving in circles in a cul-de-sac so eventually a um a a post office box was what stopped the progress of the car. Uh, they were able to get into the car and Max the dog was perfectly fine and healthy and apparently a better driver than most teenagers. Yeah, a lot of practice. <laughs> Riding in cars with animals can be quite an adventure. And Donna had a bigger adventure than many of us have had. I went down out past Kansas City to pick up my two alpacas that I have. Of course you did. So I get there I get two alpacas, and the guy says, is someone coming with a livestock trailer? And I said, well, no. And he said, well, do you have a livestock trailer? And I said, well, no, because I can't back one up. Yeah. He said, where are you putting these alpacas? I said, well, in the back seat of my truck, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So we, four of us. Loaded two alpacas into the back seat of my dog, and <laughs> up I thirty five I went with two alpacas, and one of them would not lay down, so he had his head up through the front seat, like right beside mine as I was driving. <laughs> somewhere on I thirty five, just as I cross the border into Iowa, somebody pulls up, like they're gonna pass me, and then slows down. And proceeds to take a picture. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm on somebody else's Facebook or Instagram or some media somewhere because there's a big white alpaca head right beside mine in my dog's truck. Okay, Mayor Beth, tell us about your riding in a car with an animal adventure. I had an Aussie shepherd who liked to bark in the car. And I used to try to find methods to get him to stop barking. So I bought one of those 
uh, barking collars and citronella. So every time he would bark, it would spray out citronella. That was supposed to get him to stop barking. Interesting. <laughs> Never heard of that method. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't buy one. Don't. It doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Uh, so <laughs> he's in the back of the car, and he's barking, and the citronella is coming out in spurts. <laughs> and he doesn't stop barking, but my entire car smells like citronella, and I thought I was going to die driving down the interstate. I had to pull over. <laughs> And open up the windows and air out the car. He never does not bark here. Oh, it was awful. So a Florida dog took a car on a joyride in reverse in a cul-de-sac, and it led us to talking about your adventures of riding in cars with animals. There have been so many bizarre stories we've heard. <laughs> it makes a dog driving backwards in circles seem normal. Your stories have been about live animals. Mine would be about my husband's extenuous taxidermy collection. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. We, we were moving, and he didn't want his delicate taxidermy to be put in the moving van. No. So we had them in my caravan <laughs> and driving down the road. And there was a wild Russian forehead in the front seat, and there was a Canadian goose, and it was mounted on a flight and on a wire, so it's moving. And we had ducks that were in flying, and we had a bear skin rug, and a turkey in full stretch. And yes, we had a, a few second looks as we were going down the road. At any moment. Did you ever just sit there and look around and think to yourself, how did I get here? <laughs> oh, I was laughing. I was just yeah. dying laughing. And yeah. very, of course, it's not him driving. It's me driving yeah. my van and him in the other vehicle. Yeah, so you're all by yourself with these dead animals. I'm all by myself. Yes. You don't even know what this means. When you say, I feel like a broken record. <laughs> because they don't know what that is. Well, I guess vinyl's kind of making a comeback. Yeah. But really, when, you're a, when you are the either the parent or the guardian or the teacher of teenagers, it feels like you say the same phrases over and over and over again. I've got four boys, and I find myself frequently saying, you need how much money by when and for what? <laughs> yes, that, that is so true. Right. That is in my library. <laughs> Never fails. They always have to have so much money to order this whatever through school, and they give me the note about it the night before it's due. I was going to yep. say, do Never you usually fails. follow that up with, and how long have you known about this? Yes! Yes! Very good, exactly. Taylor. See? Very good, Taylor. He's not even a dad yet, and he knows. But I've been a child. <laughs> you say it over and over mm-hmm. and over again with your teenagers. I say this one. Are you kidding me? And it's usually <laughs> accompanied with, you're still hungry? And Sue has something similar, actually. Shut the refrigerator door. <laughs> they stand and they stare in the refrigerator. And my son used to do it all the time. And I'd say, shut the refrigerator door. It's the same stuff that was there an hour ago. But if I keep and staring long enough, a steak is going to appear. I love that. I think that's what it is. I yeah. don't know. I think they think food just magically is going to appear there. Maybe, maybe but, now. Yeah. And now I have grandkids in the house. And I walked in the other day and I said, shut the refrigerator door. <laughs> and he's standing there and he's going, 
I said, what are you looking for? He goes, oh, Grandma, just hungry. Just hungry. (laughs) Words are important. Mm -hmm. They really are. Especially the ones that you say over and over and over and over again to your teenagers. So you want to pick good ones to reuse. (laughs) They really, I don't know if they hear them or not. I think sometimes we say them so often it just goes in one ear and out the other. The lessons I've learned are you don't ask how was your day because you get fined. Yep. So now I say... What was one thing that you learned today that I don't know? Oh, that's a cool. I have learned about history, about books that are being read, about geometry. Now, I don't remember it all, but I do. <laughs> I, I'm told about it. I like that a that's lot. very good. I learned about there. it for a very short amount of time until it all fell out of my head. I learned about theorem and something starting with a P, but I don't remember what that is anymore. <laughs> Taylor referred to them as the greatest hits. It's those oft-repeated phrases that you use in parenting teens. Whenever we take pictures or something like that, they go, why? Because I can. (laughs) Then they go, why are you dressed like that? Because I can. (laughs) And then my wife started saying it, too. Then they're like, why are you saying it, too? Because I can. Yeah, that's... I'm sensing an endless cycle yeah, here. I think that's that's exactly. a winner. That so, is a winner right yeah, there. Yeah, it's almost like a veto power because <laughs> I can't. But what happens if one of them says that to you? That's never happened. <laughs> they don't realize they can. Dr. Heidi, I've found one thing that really helps me when I'm going through a hard time is to go to kind of an outside party who doesn't have Uh emotional investment, who has perspective and isn't going through the same thing that I'm going through. But now that we're in the middle of a pandemic, everybody is going through what I'm going through. (laughs) How can I find help from somebody at a time like this? You're right. This is a unique situation where you... None of us have experience in this. On some level, we are all figuring this out together. So our help and our support for each other is going to look different. Instead of saying, I've been through this, how can I help you? Our message is, I'm in this with you. We'll get through it together. I'm struggling too, but you know what? I can support you just by sitting with you. When I think about Job's friends, as he was going through all the things that he was going through, they were most helpful when they didn't say anything. And I think before this, with this pressure, you call a friend, you want advice, you want wisdom, you want direction. None of us have that right now. No. And so instead, we have to give ourselves permission to not have all the right answers, to not be able to fix it for our friends or even for ourselves, but to recognize that this is really a day by day, step by step. What do I need to do next? I have to admit to you, the other night, somebody asked me if, if I wanted to go for a walk. And I said, only if we don't talk. I wow. wanted the human person next to me, but I didn't want to talk because I don't want to talk about this. And I don't want to pretend like it's not happening by talking about fluffy stuff either. I loved the right. human interaction, but I didn't want to talk. It's that the value of just holding space together that I will sit with you in this without the pressure to fix it, without the pressure to change it, without even the pressure to understand it. Mm-hmm. Just recognizing that this moment is hard. And it's hard because all the things that were hard before are still hard now. We have only added more hard. We have not taken any hard away. Mm. Sometimes there's really nothing to do except to sit with each other in it and hold space and trust that our hope is not that God will answer our prayers exactly as we want him to, that everything will go back to normal. Mm. Our hope is a living hope that 
the Holy Spirit is with us in this moment, supporting us and encouraging us and helping us know him more, even as the hard things around us continue to be hard. I love first Peter. He talks about it. Just this living hope we have. It's not a dead hope. It's not just a future hope that we don't have in the present. It's a present living hope that carries us through everything, even a pandemic. There are always adventures with substitutes, uh, particularly substitute teachers. If you've got a story like that, whether you convinced a substitute teacher of something (laughs) or you were the substitute teacher who had an adventure, we want to hear. One of the first times that I subbed in the high school, I was looking at the list of students and trying to do attendance, calling out names. And this one boy comes walking up as I'm trying to get them all transferred from my teacher's note to the attendance sheet. And he says, my leg is kind of hurting. And I glance up, and he's standing there holding his prosthetic leg in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> and I just took it in stride, <laughs> and I told him, well, maybe if you put it back where it belongs, it won't hurt so bad. And I went on with the attendance. Way to go! Well done. You totally didn't let him throw you. Oh, that's great. I didn't. Now, that was probably 18, 20 years ago. To this day, when he comes into my second job, he could see me all across the building, and he will holler out, Hey, Miss Marshmallow! And the whole building turns around and looks at me. I mean, he even invited me to his wedding. I will admit I took advantage of a quote-unquote substitute babysitter. Mm-hmm. We had a normal babysitter, and then we had to go to a backup, and I completely took advantage of her. Patty knows how to deal with children like you, Jen. <laughs> yeah, I have a cure for the substitute babysitter problem. It's called hazard pay. <laughs> hazard pay. <laughs> we had several children, and several children's a different dynamic because they all figure out how to work together, right? Yeah. And so whenever we had a substitute babysitter... They figured out how to work it, you know, like to get pudding for dinner, right? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So we told them if we come home and we find out that they were extra work, we would have to pay the babysitter hazard pay. But the kids would have to pay the hazard pay back to us in chores the next week. (laughs) That's really smart. I love it. I like that. Did that work? It worked. Or did they just bribe the babysitter to say that it worked? (laughs) Well, I will say that the downside was the babysitters knew about that and felt bad. So they would start giving the kids candy to be good. (laughs) And when when we would find out that the babysitter was as bad as the kids and give them candy, we never said anything to the kids, but she just didn't babysit again. (laughs) I wonder if that's why I lost a couple of babysitting jobs. You know, I was that substitute teacher once. Oh, wow. But the kids were the ones who suffered. Oh, no, why? What well, did you do to so them? The, the job started out just as, hey, this teacher's going to be out. All you need to do is go to her chemistry class and teach them how to balance chemical equations and then give them a test. And is I, that all? Well, I, I, I vaguely remembered how to do chemical equate. Like, once you remember how to do them, they're pretty easy. Oh, sure. Okay. And, yeah. yeah. And so I was like, okay, I can teach them that. I can give a test. That's fine. And then it turned out that this particular teacher was going to be out a whole lot longer. And they decided, rather than trying to get a whole bunch of substitute teachers to cover all of her classes, Mr. Taylor Hohulin could just cover all of these science classes. Did they know you? I, apparently not, because not only was I teaching chemistry, I had seventh grade life science. If you're a middle school teacher, you are a saint. Wow. I also had junior and senior anatomy and physiology. That was the difficult one. Did I know that? 
that? I, I don't know. Yeah, I taught anatomy and physiology for a few months. I totally didn't know that. Uh, well, yeah, I didn't know anatomy and physiology either. <laughs> That's why I went into radio, to be quite honest. And I, I, I remember one of the worst ones sitting down and like I would literally have to teach myself the material the night before and then go in and teach it the next day. Wow. And I remember turning the page in the textbook and being like, they're, they want me to teach high schoolers neuroanatomy, <gasps> like how the nerves in the body work. And I literally remember looking at it and saying, it's unreasonable for a human to understand this. Wow. So I guess the moral of the story is substitute teachers really are oh, heroes. I, I was working so hard. <laughs> I was up late that night watching YouTube videos on how neuroanatomy works. <laughs> and so I decided I'm just going to show this video in class. I started the video and the whole class goes, we've already seen this one. Oh, no. And I said, well, you're watching it anyway. See if you find anything new. I gotta tell you, you have injured yourselves in some pretty interesting ways. I thought Taylor breaking a tooth watching a tense movie was pretty bad, but wow. I bruised my breastbone clapping at a conference. Clapping? What? Yeah. Say that again. I bruised my breastbone clapping at a conference. Taylor just put his hand over his chest. Ow. Yeah. How are you clapping? Um, I don't know. I thought I was actually having a heart attack the way I was feeling, but no. Um, what kind of conference was it? Was it about chocolate? I mean, what would make you clap that hard? Um, it was just a, a business conference. A business conference? Yeah, business! Yeah. You know that phrase, adding insult to injury? Uh-huh. When you get a silly injury, it's insulting almost to have to tell the story <laughs> behind it. But we're so glad that Jennifer did. A few years ago, I was vacuuming the stairs. I got about halfway up, and the hose wouldn't reach any further. I thought, this makes sense, so I'll just take the vacuum <laughs> up to the landing, up yep. at the top. Okay. And I'll work my way down, right? Sure. Oh, no. <laughs> Jim knows what's coming. I totally so know what's coming. The vacuum came tumbling down on my head. No! Knocked me out cold. What? Sliced my head open. No! Gave me a concussion. <laughs> and then my kids bought me one of those Lisa Frank bicycle helmets. <laughs> and told me that I'm not allowed to do housework without it on anymore. <laughs> Hey, Diane, tell us the story of your silly injury. So I was 13 years old. My friend and I were in a parking lot, and they had all the empty buggies, or, well, I guess they're called shopping carts, but we thought it would be a good idea. Hey, let's jump in the back, and you oh, give me a yeah. push. Yeah. Oh, no. yeah. this parking lot. <sighs> so I thought it sounded like a grand idea. Mm-hmm. Jumped in the back, and my friend gave me a push. Well, the asphalt in the parking lot was less than smooth. Oh. And so, so I was getting up a good cruise, and all of a sudden, <laughs> I hit the uneven asphalt, and I literally went flying out of the car oh! one way. Yeah, we laughed, but I mean, afterwards, because I was sliding, getting some asphalt burn. Oh, man. But, uh, oh, no. <laughs> and then I made my friend do it. She's like, I'm not doing it now. And I'm like, oh, you are so doing it. Come on, I'll steer you a different direction. We won't go the same path. And because she was my best friend, she did it. And she totally biffed it, too. <laughs> oh, what happened? They ask you as you sport a new brace or an ace bandage or even a band-aid and you wish you wish that you had a good story to tell 
Well, you kind of do. We want to hear your silly injury stories. I work as a bridge builder, and one day I went to get donuts, and I stepped off the end of the bridge and twisted my ankle. Oh. Really bad. All for the sake of donuts? Yep, and I ended up going to the ER, and after I got out of there, I still got the donuts. <laughs> That's the important part. Now, did you share these donuts with your coworkers? Oh, yeah. I was just in the watching them work. <laughs> if you hit the snooze button and don't get up right away, you are more intelligent than the rest of us. Why? Because science! Science! This is, this is what science sounds like. It's science with Taylor and Jen. Break down the science for me, Jen. The study shows. This is an old study that's come back recently, and okay. our friends at Channel 8 were reporting on it. The study shows that if you ignore the rule of getting up as soon as your alarm clock sounds off, and you act instead on what your body needs, which is more sleep. Mm. You are more likely to follow your ambitions and tackle your problems, meaning that you are more creative and more independent. Signs of intelligence. Science is saying this? Science says if you hit the snooze button and don't get up right away in the morning, you are arguably more intelligent. So what does that say about me? And me... Are we just not as intelligent as the snoozers? Apparently not. Okay. You have them. It's that person in your life that you have to go to great lengths to get them out of bed. Kelly, what do you do to wake up your son? He's 18, but it's it's been a struggle kind of his whole life. When he was little, I would sing. I <laughs> would jump on his bed. I would like tickle him. I and then we moved into the phase of like, hey, you're like twelve, thirteen. I made chocolate chip pancakes, and they might be gone <laughs> if you don't hurry to the oh! table. There you go. There you, you go. Know? Yeah, food counted for a long time. Uh-huh. Now that he's like eighteen, the perfect thing is I open his bedroom door, and the dog goes scrambling in there, and then I've gotten smarter <laughs> because I close the door. Oh, so she's stuck in there with him. <laughs> it's perfect because. If you leave the door open, she'll like maul him for maybe 10 seconds and then she wants to be with me. But if I close her in there, she has to get up. It's perfect. It's hard to wake them up and you have to go to great lengths. But here's the thing. Science says that if they sleep past their snooze, then they're actually more intelligent. But sometimes it makes you more creative because you find ways to wake them up. My sister in our youth would not get up. She'd say 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes for like... 45 minutes. <laughs> so what were the great lengths? By the third time, I would be so frustrated. I would get on top of the bed and I would straddle her standing one leg on each side and I would jump. <laughs> and as she came up off the bed, I would bounce so that it was against the jump. I mean, that woman, I could get her up off that bed probably two foot. <laughs> Did it work? Yeah, she woke up. She got out of bed. It was yeah. thing. I was going to say, for, for a few seconds at a time, she was out of bed at least when you were jumping. Yeah, she was out of bed at least six or seven times. And it's okay not to get up maybe the first time your snooze mm-hmm. goes off. But it's not okay to be one of those people that your mother can't get up in the morning to go to school. Not that I speak from personal experience no, or anything. No, definitely not. <laughs> I will say, though, the stories of going to great lengths to wake up teenagers, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of worth it. So I have um, two-year-old twin boys, and they are masters of destruction. Oh. And so they also have a 14- and a 16-year-old brother. Oh. And so when... 
those two won't get up, we send the twins in and they'll jump on them and like pull their hair. And then if they still don't get up, then they start destroying their bedrooms. So they can destroy a room in like two minutes. So they get up pretty quick once their stuff starts getting messed with. Oh my goodness. So it's not release the hounds, it's release the twins. Yes. Release the babies. <laughs> yep. This has been the Taylor and Jen podcast. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday morning online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.